Braves and baseball fans, it's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung on and missed the perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. Hello and welcome to From the Diamond right here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney with you from the Kia Studios as we embark on what should be a fun couple of hours of talking about the Atlanta Braves and the rest of Major League Baseball. But the Braves, Corey, they're not taking a backseat to anybody right now. Another big victory on Sunday. Another four-game sweep as they do the honors against the Pittsburgh Pirates. And we've got an 11-game winning streak for the first time in nearly a decade. I think that when it, we talk about turning your fortunes and maybe turning them on a dime, that's exactly what the Braves have done in about a week and a half. Oh, without question. Uh, the club's last double-digit win streak since 2013, as you mentioned there, they are now tied with the Yankees and the Astros for the longest winning streak of the season, a perfect homestand, 6-0. and They went deep many, many a time here in the Sunday yep. finale. So a lot of good things going for a team that's now seven games above five hundred for the first time this season. Yeah, four more home runs for the Braves on Sunday. That's a pretty good uh, way to add to your lead as Atlanta was busy hitting back-to-back home runs early. A multi-home run game from Adam Duvall, as it turned out, and Matt Olson got into the act. He'd been a little bit quiet in the Pirates series, but an insurance run on his solo home run in the eighth inning. It all added up to a 5-3 Braves victory and a four-game sweep of the Pittsburgh Pirates, who I know that this was a team that you kind of looked at and thought, all right, well, they swept the Dodgers. They took five out of six from the Dodgers. You don't want to overlook them, and I think the Pirates played the Braves pretty tough, but Atlanta just seemed to find the answers that they needed, the runs that they needed, and I don't know if you get a much bigger exclamation point than scoring eight times in the seventh inning on Saturday. Seemingly every time along this win streak, they've gotten every little thing that they've needed, right? Yeah. I mean, if you needed the go-ahead home run, they get one on Sunday for Matt Olson. If you need the you know, the key double play along the way, you get that. I mean, certainly it, it just seems like the pitching performances, everything has been there when needed to keep this win streak rolling. And, you know, I know we'll get into it a bit later on whether or not, you know, it's being opportunistic against a favorable schedule or mm-hmm. if it's a team that's really found its groove again. Either way, I mean, 11 straight is 11 straight, and yeah. there's a lot to be excited about. I mean, can it be both? I mean, that, that seems like a pretty simple question, maybe even a rhetorical question, but these are the games you're supposed to be winning, and this is, if you are who you say you are, this is exactly what you need to be doing. It was a Hugh Green. They are what they say they are. They, they, they are exactly I, I what they know. thought. I'm sure somebody are. smarter yeah. than me has yeah, said it at uh, some point. I mean, it, Maybe dumber than me, too. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right, though. I mean, and then you got the Nationals ahead and the Cubs, and yep. then it finally gets back into that run where you feel like the Braves are going to be challenged again when they face the Giants uh, coming up here mm-hmm. uh, beginning on uh, June 21st. So, yeah, I mean, the, the you get through these games, and these are the opportunity to gain ground, and they've gained ground on this Mets team that's still going against the Angels uh, during this weekend set. They've gained five and a half games at this yeah. point in the, in the standings. I yeah. mean, they're doing what needs to be done during this time period against, a, again, a favorable schedule. We'll see what this, what this means 
once they get into a, t- a tighter competition. But for now, I mean, there's just nothing uh, but things to be excited about, especially seeing Adam Duvall break mm-hmm. out. And certainly the run that Ronald Cooney Jr. has been on is just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, Ronald, one of several Braves red hot here in the month of June. Let's talk about the this week in Braves baseball as it has been. And we talked about their Sunday pretty much capitalizes or puts the exclamation point, I should say, on what has been an all-caps good week for the Atlanta Braves. And as they did get on this winning streak, 11 straight games through Sunday, they did pick up at least five games in the standings pending the outcome of the uh, Mets and Angels on Sunday Night Baseball. But this close batting 283 with an 875 OPS over this stretch in the 11-game win streak, pitching just under a 250 ERA, and they have outscored their opponents 74-30. to So, you know, I don't really care which opponents it is, but, I mean, we're not talking about the Braves getting a bunch of fluky wins and a bunch of other teams simply just beating themselves night after night. This has been, I think, an opportunity for them to do what they needed to do, to your point that you you made a minute ago with where they are in the schedule and what should be going on at this time. And if you wanted to point to a chance to gain ground on the New York Mets, who quite frankly have not been as hot as they were in the month of April, they have dealt with their own injuries, they'll deal with their own inconsistencies, and I'll go ahead and point this out. The Mets are not going to go unbeaten for the rest of the year. The Braves are not going to go unbeaten for the rest of the year. There are a lot of things that can happen here over the next, what, 100-plus games. There's still a lot of baseball to be played. But when you did look a week and a half or or so, two weeks ago anyway, and saw that the Braves were as far out as they were, 10-plus games out, their largest deficit in the divisional era, if they can come back and win the division, since the 1993 club, which is kind of the stuff of legend as far as those kind of races are concerned, this was a critical point in the stretch. You could not afford to throw away this opportunity to make up ground on the Mets. And you mentioned it. It's it's the depth with which they've gotten things done during this time period. If you go back to May 20th, which started this run of 29 straight games against teams with losing records, they have six players in the NL's top 50, and we have run Creative Plus, top by mm-hmm. you know William Contreras, who hit another bomb on Sunday, Acuna, Wild uh, Austin Bill. Riley. That's right. Wild Bill. <laughs> I'm, oh, apologies. Dansby <laughs> Swanson, Travis Darneau. Uh, Adam Duvall has been, you know, improved. Matt Olson's had his moments. As a team, they scored the fourth most runs in that stretch, the second most in the NL. They hit the six most homers, and then you slide over to the pitching, and it's a top ten pitching staff right now with two guys in Max Fried and Kyle Wright who have been in the, among among the top twenty uh, in ERA during that time period. And of course, the bullpen continues to be among one of the league's best. It feels like all candy and roses right now because mm-hmm. for the last eleven games, that's exactly what it's been. And again, it's it's been a collective, and it's been them looking like they were expected to look at the beginning of the season. And whether that has to do with the fact that they just waited for Acuna to get that you know consistent playing time, or a lot of the pieces just needed to to find their you know their chances uh, to, to come back and, and and be part of the collective that everyone expected they would be. Mm-hmm. They're getting it done, and they're getting it done in bunches. Now, I don't know what the going rate is for Candy and Roses to <laughs> unicorns and rainbows, but regardless, this has been a Braves club that has been living the charmed life over the last week and a half, but it's also been a Braves club that has been performing at a very high level. And you mentioned Ronald Acuna Jr., and I do think this is one of the keys to getting this club into what has been this nice extended run. He is now playing right field every day. We're talking about over a week now of consecutive starts in right field. The Braves did have an off day this past week, so that's helpful. But no more of this DH for a game or two, play the field, then DH, then play two in the field, then DH. They've stopped doing that. And one of the things that we're going to see from that is the Braves' outfield defense is going to improve. Michael Harris is a big reason why that has already happened. But now in left field, you can move the gold glover, Adam Duvall, who was being kind of pressed into duty as your center fielder. Your outfield defense has gotten better. Now, DH is going to be an interesting conversation that we can have this week and maybe for a few weeks, depending on how this all plays out, because you assume – 
well, now Marcelo Zuna can just go be your DH. But as you mentioned, William Contreras, the man I like to call Wild Bill, and hopefully everybody's calling him Wild Bill at this point because the exploits are certainly legendary. He should be elevated to, at, at the very least, the status of one of the Braves' best players here over the course of the first, what, two, two and a half months of the season. This is not a fluky thing anymore. This wasn't William Contreras got hot for a week and wasn't that great, and now we'll spend the next six weeks trying to hope that he can find it again. This has been consistent from him, so I think he's going to push himself into this DH situation if he hasn't already. And now Brian Snitker has come out and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this two-on, two-off thing with Travis Darno and William Contreras because now it's not just can William Contreras hit his way into the lineup. It is William Contreras is handling the pitching staff. And, oh, by the way, he's hitting a ton. We need to play him. we got to find him at bats. And Brian Snitker's looking for ways to do that. I think you hit on a key point there. It's the way that William Contreras is working with the pitching staff. It just seems completely different. The way that, you know, you saw him go out and, you know, kind of go over some things with Kyle Wright mm-hmm. and find some adjustments. And he just seems like a very different player than he was a year ago when it seemed like he was thrust into the job and he was trying to figure out, you and know, he was. One, how do you hit at the major league level? And on top of that, how do I work with a staff that already is – has this, you know, this relationship with the starting catcher and Darno and stepping in there and trying to jump into because a lot of these guys they don't get to game plan as much at AAA as you think that they do. They maybe don't get to call the games in the same capacity that they do at the major league level. Um, and you mentioned Michael Harris, and I don't think this can be underscored enough. Right now, uh, three outs above average for him. There is not another Braves outfielder in the top twenty-five in that department. That does and not he's surprise played me. Played in less than 20 <laughs> games, and we're talking about him already ha- being in the top 25 among all outfielders. Yeah, and I've made this tweet a couple of different times because he makes a play. It just seems like every single – maybe a couple of plays. Let me sell him short here. But this is a guy that is doing it in the field. We've seen some catches that are made. That, I know Brian Snicker was joking the other day. He's like, I don't know how they calculate these things as to whether or not you're going to catch it or not catch it. But all I know is when that dude takes off and goes after a ball – and runs it down. It's impressive. That was kind of what I got from what Brian Snicker was looking at there. Same thing with you know the sprint speed that you saw Ronald Acuna Jr. show off on Saturday, scoring all the way from first base. That was some pretty elite-level stuff. And when you think about those two guys playing side-by-side in the outfield, it's reason to be excited. They're also back-to-back in the lineup because Harris is hitting toward the bottom of the order, which makes him kind of a secondary table setter for Ronald, for Dansby Swanson, who's been red hot, who we'll talk about, and, of course, the rest of the Braves order. You've got the bottom of the order now feeding the top, which I think is a big reason why the Braves have outscored their opponents by 44 runs during their winning streak. And Michael Harris, I mean, you talk about the outs above average that he is in the great center field he's playing. Another hit on Sunday. He's batting just under 300. He's OPSing just under 750. If he's able to do that and play the kind of defense he is, nobody's asked him to go out there and hit 10, 15, 20 home runs, anything like that. Just go out there, find your way on base, and play a great center field. This kid's going to fit right in. But I kind of want to ask this because it feels like it coincides with the arrival of Michael Harris it almost feels like that was kind of a spark or a very, at the very least a turning point for the Braves to say, okay, we got to get serious. we got to find answers, and this kid is an answer. Well, you weren't going to have the expectation that they were going to go out and get three new outfielders, right? I mean, no. it was not, not going to happen the trade this year. No. Right? And certainly Eddie Rosario you know, is going through you know, his uh, path back now. Mm-hmm. To, and so I don't think you, anyone can anticipate that they're going to bring in multiple people like they could – uh, a year ago. So what can you do? I mean, certainly, you know, we think about when Ronald Acuna Jr. made his arrival and there was this buzz about everything. And same thing with Ozzie Albies and Dansby Swanson and when these you know, Austin Riley, when these guys make that move up, there's a buzz among the team when that happens. And I, yeah. I don't think there were very many options within the system that you could have gone out and brought in and had that return in terms of everybody being like, okay, 
number one prospect in the or in, yeah. in the order. This was the now. guy. It's time to go. Yeah. And Harris, you know, now it has a 747 OPS. You know, he's hitting close to 300. Um, you're seeing him be much more comfortable and productive. Conversation I had with him this last week, we talked about that finding your comfort at the plate at the major league level. And he said that he goes back to that first game and Sandy Alcantara threw him three breaking balls and he absolutely whiffed at all three of them. And he said, I realize there are very few guys in this league that are going to be able to make you do that. And if I stick mm-hmm. to my plan, eventually in my approach, eventually it's going to work itself out. And now we're talking about that exactly happening. Yeah, and let me say, the things that Sandy Alcantara does, among others, those are not things that you see on your way up through the minor <laughs> leagues. Nobody's throwing no. like that. And Sandy Alcantara's been on a different planet for about a month and a half now and, and really was a breakout pitcher last year. So he's just picking up where he left off. And it's been a tough ride for the Braves a couple of times this season. But Michael Harris has... Uh, he's fit right in. He doesn't have to be the guy. He can come up and be a guy, and he certainly has been over the first couple of three weeks of his big league career. Now, uh, one of the big things that happened as this winning streak got started was the Braves, right before that, lost a really sloppy game out in Arizona. They lost that series to the Diamondbacks on the recent road trip. We know what happened after that. They salvaged the finale. They sweep the Rockies, and they're off to the races on this long winning streak. However, there was a team meeting where they just circled the wagons, as I like to say, a bit, and got themselves back on track. I don't know that it had to be a big, loud, rah-rah type meeting, but it certainly needed to be said, something needed to be said about playing up to their expectations. And I would say that whatever was said between the four walls of that clubhouse has got this club moving in the right direction. And as you mentioned, it doesn't matter who you're playing. Winning breeds confidence in the Braves. I have no shortage of that right now. I, I find it interesting that that was kind of what led to this because you think about the way that Brian Snicker manages, and he's always been kind of – I'll let the guys, you know, you don't see him walking around the clubhouse. Right. You know, and, and I know that there are certain managers that, you know, that's they make their presence felt in the clubhouse. Unless he needs to be in there, he's not in there. He's often said that that's the player's time. That's their, mm-hmm. you know, that's their their treehouse. I'm not going, I'm not climbing the, the, the ladder up to their, <laughs> their treehouse. I like that. You know, and I, I think the, the way that he manages, he allows them the sense of policing themselves. Mm-hmm. But he steps in when something needs to happen. And I we go through the early makings of this season and you wondered where's the leadership, right? And yeah, not that you it was not, asked a lot. Yeah. And, and I don't know that we can necessarily, it's not fair for us to question where that leadership was because we don't know. We don't know. We don't know how Travis Darno is behind closed doors or Dansby Swanson or on and on and on. But I think from like a public viewpoint, there was no Freddie Freeman. There was no mm-hmm. Nick Marquez. There right. was no guy that you had that was in that spot before. So maybe that me, you know, maybe that, that, kind of situation where you had to have that team meeting and things need to just get aired out and you have to collectively find a way to overcome whatever deficiency if you think that's leadership if you think Mm -hmm. that's you know the same drive that you had a year ago whatever was said it absolutely worked and this team has found its mojo yeah and it's not necessarily you know that leadership is everything but it's something yeah it all goes into that winning formula and the Braves have found that formula let's hope they can bottle it and keep it going for a while as they Matched up with the Pirates. They swept them away on Sunday. Another great outcome for the Braves, who have won 11 in a row. We've got a lot more to get to in this week in Braves baseball here on From the Diamond, and we'll continue it next on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Back to Grandma Coley for more From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. This is From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game from the Kia Studios. Grant McCauley alongside Corey McCartney as we talk to you about a Braves victory on Sunday. 5-3 over the Pirates. It makes 11 consecutive wins. Longest win streak for the Braves since 2013. And time for the longest winning streak in Major League Baseball here in the 2022 seasons. And our 2022 season and 
Uh, Corey, this was not something we thought about a couple of weeks ago that we'd be talking about, but it's funny how quickly things can change. We've seen it in some other races around the big leagues we'll talk about a little bit later on in the show with what happened to the Angels and what the Astros were able to do and how quickly the the tide can turn a bit, at least for one club. You can't count on the Mets losing, but for the Braves, they can work hard on winning, and that's exactly what they've been doing. Yeah, get the job done against these teams you're supposed to beat, right? I mean, things will get a lot more interesting uh, as we go later in the season, and right before the All-Star break, they're going to get to go toe-to-toe with the Mets again. So um, the only issue with them is that the Phillies are doing the exact same thing they're doing, just a couple games behind them in terms of that winning streak. But, yeah, I mean, this was the opportunity to do something, and they're absolutely getting it done. Yeah, how about that for the Phillies? A nine-game winning streak they brought into Sunday as well. The Marlins brought a five-game win streak into Sunday. We'll talk about all this uh, much more later, but for the Braves, the the opportunity was right out there in front of them. We talked about the schedule and what they need to do was go out there and win. And how do you get that done? We knew the Braves were going to have to get their offense rolling because at times this year we've been wondering where are all the runs? Where are these hitters that are supposed to be able to you know, help this pitching staff out at times or just simply the guys who you look at the numbers and it quite simply is not what you've come to expect from them. But we've got a bunch of them going on a pretty good run right now, and I think it's been led by the longest run of the three that we're going to talk about in Dansby Swanson. 46 games now for Dansby, dating back to April the 22nd. Uh, he has posted a 9-11 OPS. This is coming into Sunday, uh, hitting well over 330. Seven homers, 30 runs knocked in, 33 runs scored in those 46 games. And, of course, Corey playing above-average defense. And then you look to his right and you've got Austin Riley, who's been hitting near 350 over the past two, three weeks and has been finding his power stroke with eight homers in his last 19 games heading into Sunday. And then Ronald Acuna Jr. If you want to look at a figurehead for the Braves lineup and the guy that everybody's going to turn to and say, as this guy goes, perhaps so go the Braves, he has been red hot over the last 15 games, batting well in excess of 350, finding his way on base to 400 clip. And, oh, by the way, those leadoff home runs are starting to show up, and they're not cheap either. That's that's got to be the, the worst thing in the world for a starting pitcher, right, is you throw a couple pitches into a game and you're already staring down a 1-0 yeah. deficit. I mean, it's, a, it's just unbelievable. You know, since he broke into the league, George Springer is the only guy who has more uh, leadoff home runs than Ronald Acuna Jr. does. But um, you go back to the beginning of May, and Dansby Swanson is a top 25 player in all of baseball in terms of way to run creative plus. We knew this was a critical year for him uh, You know, in terms of, uh, one, the contract status, uh, but two, he had never hit a, at or above league average in a 162-game season. He had that 2020 year in which he really broke out played, you know, the duration Mm -hmm. of that 60-game schedule, and you wondered what was that going to mean for him in terms of, you know, putting it all together for an actual 162-game year. Um, He's getting it done to this point right now, you know, certainly, you know, the ability for him to hit higher in that lineup than he was before, uh, and being that, you know, guy right behind Acuna, who, you know, as I mentioned, uh, since June 1st, Acuna, as you would probably expect, is within the top 10 in WRC+. Plus. So not shocked. Surprise, surprise. And then Austin Riley is not far behind them. So those big guns in that lineup uh, just are absolutely delivering right now and seeing a lot more of what, you know, the capabilities of this team and, you know, having those guys that are going to be on everybody's short list as they start to make out those all-star game votes. Uh, this is a, a big piece for them and a big reason why we're talking about this winning streak being where it's at. Yeah, and if you look at Ronald Acuna Jr. and these leadoff home runs, I like to track this stat because it's baseball. We love stats. And if you think about someone in his age 24 season who already has 25 leadoff home runs, that's about once every 13 and a half or so games for Ronald. Meanwhile, Ricky Henderson played 25 (laughs) seasons, has the all-time record, 81 leadoff home runs, but he was hitting a leadoff home run on average once every 36 games. So Ronald's doing it almost three times as often just on pace 
than Ricky Henderson is. Does that mean he'll break that record? I don't know. Will he be hitting leadoff for the rest of his career? I don't know. For the for, you know for the future, uh, the short term, I would say probably so. But either way, it's one of the most exciting plays I think in all of baseball when somebody leads off a game with a home run, and Ronald Acuna Jr. has done it a time or twenty-five in his young career, but it's not all he's doing either. We saw the speed on the base pass over the weekend, scoring from first base on a single that didn't even go 200 feet down the right field line. I've watched a lot of baseball, Corey. I don't know that I've ever seen that. I mean, this guy is just unbelievable, right? I mean, you talk about five tools. I mean, it's it's almost like there should be an additional tool for if you can break the sound barrier when you're actually <laughs> running, running on the base pass. And I feel like I feel like Acuna is doing that. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know sometimes though that we what we see on the sprint speed meter is really what I think when I see Acuna because he's much lower down there uh, than you would anticipate that he's going to be. I mean, he's a hundred ninth at twenty eight point two. Uh, which is his average. Uh, the best brave right now is actually Michael Harris, who's at twenty nine point three. Mm-hmm. But I don't. When I see some of these other guys that you hear about how fast they are, Trey Turner, you know, Bobby Witt Jr., you know, Jorge Mateo, I don't. They don't seem like they're going that much in it, the, faster than Acuna. And then you see him pull a stunt like that. It's like it just doesn't seem to register with what that your eyes are telling you. I'll say this: I think he has another gear, and I think that there has been at least some prevailing thought that while he is coming back from this injury, that he maybe pick his spots as to where he's going to do that. He picked a great spot for it in scoring from first base on that single by Dansby Swanson that cleared the bases on Saturday. I mean, he was able to run through Ron Washington's stop sign, which uh, Brian Snicker said, I'm not even sure he was going slow enough that he could even see Ron put up a stop sign. And he scored standing up at home plate, which is interesting because I know that a lot of folks, as you follow Ronald and, and the return from a knee injury, and I know Nick Green of Bally Sports talked about this because he suffered an ACL injury in his career. It takes a while to get comfortable sliding feet first again, and Ronald is not really doing the feet first slide right now, and I am very happy that he is not making a habit out of sliding head first into home on a regular basis either, and he didn't need it the other day, but that's just one more of those things. I think mentally, physically, that is a hurdle he's going to have to clear at some point. He's going to slide feet first again. I just think that right now they're working his way back. They brought out a mat for him to practice some of that sliding over the weekend as well, which was interesting to see mm-hmm. because I, I can't say I've ever seen him drag gym mats out there and have somebody sliding, but with Ronald Acuna Jr., if you got to get creative to get this guy back to doing everything he can do, then hey, let's get creative. Was there water involved? Is this like a no, slip no, no. and slide this thing? Was a, or? No, this was just mats. I mean, I, I did joke that um, it, who knew that an adult slip and slide with zero water yeah. would attract as many people's attention as it did because once it came out there and they saw who was over there, everybody wanted to go take a look and see what exactly he was doing. And I, I'll be honest with you, I really had not put two and two together that he was not sliding feet first at all. But when you do go back and think about it, most, if not well, all of the slides that he has done this season, particularly stealing bases, it's all head first. And I guess, you know, systematically, when you think about the way that he slides, and he's got the, the little mid on anyway, I think you just, that's what you anticipate he's going to do anyway, just sure. have a better chance of leverage to get underneath the tag. It makes you worry, you know, I think, though, like, what is he going to be capable of when he does feel like the handcuffs are caught? Because I think we all think the handcuffs are off when we watch him. If there's still little things along the way that he's still trying to, and there will way be. back into. I mean, it just it's going to be a lot of fun to watch when he feels like he's 100% again. But I do feel like it's just a good reminder that even though he is playing at a max level above and beyond what most players could ever dream of, that there are still little things, little boxes to be checked off in his return from this injury. And the sliding feet first thing is one of them. <laughs> we don't need to spend our whole show on it. But I did think it was interesting once they brought out the mats to do that exercise. Uh, Austin Riley, in the midst of his uh, last 20 games, has hit eight home runs. The Braves are 15-5. and five. Obviously, an 11-game winning streak helps out with that, but you knew that Austin turning it on again 
was going to be a big reason why the Braves are doing so well. And now we talked about Michael Harris has been hitting ninth. Then you've got Ronald hitting first, Dansby hitting second, and you've got Austin Riley hitting third. Now you've got four very productive hitters in a row there. And then Matt Olson, I think, has started to find his moments over the past three weeks. Ozzie Albee certainly found a, a pretty big moment over the weekend and has started to hit a couple of home runs on this homestand, so hopefully that'll be something that comes around for him and with what William Contreras and Travis Darnot have combined to do behind the plate. And you brought him up earlier in the show, and I don't want to skip over him because two home runs again on Sunday. Adam Duvall is starting to look like he, in fact, has found his power stroke, and that's another great development for the Braves. It is, and it, I mean, if, it's, if you can live with you know the highs and lows as Marcelo Zuna tries to figure out how to get back to 2020 form, I mean, it's it's... It's just absolutely relentless, you know, what this this offense is, is going to be capable of going forward. And, man, it certainly makes you happy that you don't have to watch a pitcher hit anymore because that's certainly oh, yeah. in the, what you have in this offense, the capabilities of it mm-hmm. now, I mean, it's just it's just staggering. It has to be just demoralizing for a starting pitcher, especially on a you know a team struggling like the Pirates to step in there and know, man, that's what i got to go through three, four times today. Yeah, and I don't think that, I mean, even though Marcel is struggling, I don't think there's too many pitchers that are just going to go up there and just, you know, yeah. just take it easy there. I mean, he's got a reputation at least as being a feared slugger in the past, and hopefully he figures that out. But there are not a lot of places you can go in the Braves lineup for an easy out. A month ago this time, we could talk about three, maybe four places you could go in the Braves lineup for an out, and that certainly was not the way that the Braves needed it to be as they were trying to win consistently, and it just wasn't happening. One of the other things the Braves have been trying to do consistently this year is find somebody in the fifth spot of the rotation that can give them at least five quality innings and get it to the bullpen in shape to win a baseball game. Spencer Strider showed, I think, some big-time stuff in his third start, his first one at Truist Park of the season, pitching into the sixth inning, striking out eight guys, limiting the walks, limiting the hits. You throw shutout baseball, you got my attention. And Spencer Strider, honestly, has had my attention and the attention of many in Braves country all season long. Corey, I thought this was a huge step towards him being able to cement this spot for a while and show you why he believed he could be a big league starting pitcher. 18 uh, whiffs on his uh, 53 swings that night. Um, you know, a lot, most of them, obviously, you know, coming on that four-seam fastball, um, that slider that just continues to be just a devastating pitch for him that he's developed. I did a piece for Battery Power this week looking at the most unhittable pitches in that Braves uh, pitching staff. And uh, as you would expect, Spencer Strider's slider is right there in terms of weighted on base average, whiff rate, uh, batting average against, all that fun stuff. Um, just an absolute key start for him uh, to be able to, to do this because while we don't know uh, how long they're potentially going to need him uh, to bridge that gap until Mike Soroka would be able to come back into this rotation, yeah. whatever they can get at fifth time out and having some form of stability uh, is just a massive step forward. Yeah, and Mike Soroka is down in Florida now working mm-hmm. his way back. And, you know, you'll really want to know the time frame, or you'll really know the time frame, I should say, once his actual rehab assignment starts, because at that point it begins a 30-day clock. And you would think five, six starts for Mike Soroka to get him back there. Prior to that, he'll play, you know, he'll have some sim games, he'll face live hitters, he'll do all that stuff at the Braves spring training site. But it will be, I think, a sight for sore eyes when he's able to get himself back on the mound, uh, back on a big league mound and back in the Braves rotation. And we're hoping uh, for that to happen sooner than later. But it does bring up a very interesting situation here when you look at what Spencer Strider's been able to show. But the Braves have needed somebody to show this, and Spencer Strider is going to have a role to play here in the 2022 season for the Atlanta Braves. I think there's no two ways about that. Now, speaking of uh, Braves, their accomplishments and things that they have done this year that could uh, gain them a little bit of notoriety, the Atlanta Braves launched a cinematic campaign to send their all-stars out to Hollywood where it will be at Dodger Stadium this year. So 
You've got several different movie posters that have been released. There's some trailers the Braves have made. We've got all kinds of good stuff going on with this. As it's a, a very fun campaign, and I think there's a lot of deserving all-stars here, Corey. And I, I look at this list, and I think Ronald Acuna Jr. from the fan voting alone has a very good chance to go to and start the all-star game. But Dansby Swanson and Austin Riley, I feel like, have done enough to be all-stars for the Braves this year. And then you've got Max Fried and Kyle Wright, who could make the pitching staff on the player vote side. And if Brian Snitker needs to uh, you know, take anybody as an alternate in case somebody bows out of the all-star game, there could very well be at least five Atlanta Brave all-stars this year. And that is a pretty exciting thing to think about. And something that a month ago you kind of wondered, who is this team's all-star right here? I guess it's Kyle Wright, maybe Max Fried, but offensively speaking, who in the world? I think the, the the big thing, though, is we know Braves fans' ability to take over a vote, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's the thing that has to you really have to take into account. They could, I mean, when, you, when that first phase of voting and we start to see those figures come in, I wouldn't be as surprised to see a Brave in, in nearly every spot within the top three in terms of those voting numbers along the way just because they are just, you know, so uh, rabid when it comes to this. But I will put this on you, though. What is your favorite of the movie posters? I think my favorite of the movie posters might be the combined uh, Dansby Swanson, Ozzy Albies one. Mm. I think it's a turn two one. Yeah, that turn two. I, yeah. I like Darno and Duvall's Daddy Day Trip. That's also a good the, yeah, one. The, yeah. the Ronald Acuna clutch one is kind of a slam dunk as well because you know that he's going to be playing the game at maximum speed and all of those things, not to make a Max Free joke. I like it. Yeah, no, it, it works out. All these posters, I think, works out. If you go in and around Truist Park as well, there is a walk of fame that has been set up. I so. will say, though, that says, you know, their, their signage just says, send our stars to Hollywood when you literally just had a guy that left in the offseason to go to Hollywood may not ring quite the same way. I don't think anybody has thought about it that way. These guys yeah, are going to come don't. home, though, from the All-Star game and put a Braves uniform on again. So that's a very important discrepancy, but a discrepancy nonetheless. Lots more Braves and baseball talk is coming your way on From the Diamond as we continue here. We'll have our three up and three down, six of the biggest stories from MLB this week, and it's coming your way next. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney with you on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. All right, play place for all things MLB and our Braves. This is From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back to From the Diamond. Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney with you from the Kia Studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game as we take a break from the Braves for a moment and take a look out across Major League Baseball with our three up and three down, which is six of the biggest stories from MLB this week. And we're going to start with the managerial ranks because there were a couple of juicy ones this past week. Corey, and hey, what a difference a couple of weeks can make. In a long baseball season, the Angels rolled into the month of May sitting atop the AL West, but things went sour by the time June rolled around. The club lost 14 consecutive games. In the midst of that, they fired manager Joe Madden as well, and that makes two managerial firings this month with Joe Girardi out in Philadelphia. The Angels struggle, though, and their, their inability to contend in the American League West is well documented by now. They have not finished over 500 since 2015. They haven't made the postseason since a year before that. Madden was in his third year with L.A. He was nearly 20 games under 500 in his second go-around as he was an interim skipper for the Angels long before he took the Tampa Bay Rays job. But uh, sometimes losing like this means I think you need to maybe make a change in the person delivering the message. But this just feels like a case of doing something, anything, to jumpstart what was becoming a very forgettable run for the Angels. And it all happened what felt like extremely quickly. Yeah, I mean, Madden certainly has that vibe to him, you know, that kind of, you know, sit Merlot and kind of chill back California vibe. And you thought that that would work with a team that has, you know, some absolute generational stars here, Mike Trout. And then of course, Shohei Otani as well. But 
14 straight losses. Uh, no team has ever lost that many and made the postseason. That obviously was not fixed by Phil Nevin stepping into the uh, interim role, at least not immediately. Uh, such a strange situation, trying to, to reverse it instead of Sage. They just tried to, I guess you could say, uh, audio feces all over the stadium by having Nickelback play after every time a guy comes yeah. up. So um, it, that did not work, uh, but ultimately – a big-time player who may be the only guy in the sport who can actually put a team on his shoulders was the one that brought that streak to a halt. Shohei Otani hitting the go-ahead home run, uh, throwing seven uh, electric innings there to take down the Red Sox to salvage the finale of a four-game set. So um, just if you need something good to happen, don't play Nickelback. I think that's the uh, the big piece here. Yeah, but I don't think their music choices are what led to that four-game losing streak to begin with. That was a, more of a desperate times call for desperate measures kind of thing, and that was way more desperate than firing your manager. Be that as it may, Mike Trout was also going through the worst slump of his career. He just he has not been in the same sentence with the word slump too many times over the course of his decade or so in Major League Baseball. And then you had Mike Trout missing a couple of games. On top of that, he was dealing with what they thought was a little bit of a scare of a leg injury. Did come back, hit a couple of home runs in his return. You had Walsh hitting for the cycle uh, to help them do some things and beat the Mets, which the Braves will certainly appreciate. If they want to continue doing that, uh, that would uh, go a long way towards helping Atlanta out as the Braves are five and a half games behind the Mets and will take all the help they can get as far as that's concerned. Now, Madden was not the only manager who made headlines this week because Hall of Famer Tony La Russa was here and made a choice on Thursday, and it wasn't ever a choice as he intentionally walked Trey Turner with a 1-2 count to set up a lefty-lefty matchup for Max Muncy, who proceeded to hit a three-run homer that helped the Dodgers win over the White Sox by an 11-9 score. La Russa received pretty much blanket criticism for this move. A fan even yelled, he's got two strikes, Tony, while Muncy made his thoughts known after crossing home plate in what appeared to be a very expletive-laden uh, tirade. Um, I get the numbers that, that seem to make sense with this decision as far as an intentional walk's concerned, but after a two-strike count, I can't say I'm really on board for all of that. And, and the White Sox, they also blew another game on Saturday, and Tony La Russa was there to hear the White Sox fans at this point chanting, fire Tony. So quite a lot going on there. And, I, you know, I think it just boils down to the fact that everything that La, La Russa does, because I think it seems such an odd choice at the time when they brought him back, having been removed from the managerial seat for so for long. A I, yeah, I mean, obviously the guy's a Hall of Famer. He's got a you know, an unparalleled resume, but he'd been so far removed from the game. I think everyone wondered, you know, one, how is he going to relate to younger players? Is he the right, right guy for a, a team that's, you know, has a lot of up and coming younger guys. So I think every little thing he does is kind of dissected in a different way, but I'm not trying to defend the guy. And I, I thought it was, it, it was ludicrous afterwards when he was asked about it. He says, is there some question about whether that was a good move or not? That wasn't a tough call. Oh, he said I mean, he'd do it again. He yeah. was asked, you know, he said he'd do the exact same thing the next day. If the, if you're not if the runner's on second base, then you then you're just going to go ahead and give Turner the free pass. But I, I, we talked about this uh, during the commercial break that you can signal in or work around Turner when you've got two yeah, strikes. Be on. careful with to, Yeah, you don't you don't have to just give him the free pass and open things up. And obviously, if they had gotten Muncie out, I mean, we're probably not even we're not talking this about it. No, but, it's just one of those odd things that happens. But it just seems like it all it's all boiling over for for him. The injuries, you know, the the, the not living up to the expectations. It just seems that. I don't know how much longer he's going to be in, a, in Chicago. Obviously, no one, none of us do, but it, it doesn't. It feels like it's reaching a boiling point, and, it, yeah. and it, the, the worse they continue to play and not live up to those expectations, somebody's going to have to end up taking the fall there. And whether Jerry Reisdorf, who's a close friend of his, uh, is going to ultimately put that on him. I mean, uh, it, 
right now is not, no, there's not a lot good going on on the south side. Yeah, I'm curious if this is a move that happens during the season, or as you mentioned, is he insulated enough with being an old friend from Jerry Reinsdorf's days long before 2022 and being at the helm of what is a young team with a lot of expectations as well that they have not lived up to. We talked about that game on Saturday that, that they blew to the Texas Rangers. That was just the latest in a line of frustrations that have gone on for the White Sox for the better part of two solid months. And Tony La is the guy calling the shots. And as we just saw with Joe Madden, I mean, things can change in the span of two weeks. Joe Girardi being out in Philadelphia as well. Is that the only reason why the Phillies were losing? I don't know. But they went on a win streak after he was gone. Maybe that had something to do with it. Maybe he had lost that clubhouse. And as I mentioned, you change the voice that's delivering the message to the team. And it does change the dynamic, but that every time you fire a manager does not mean you're going to go on a long winning streak. I think there's way more times that hasn't happened than it has happened, though it is a fun thing, I think, for the clubs when they do, if they get that immediate result. Uh, be that as it may, this one is coming from the National League East as we continue with three up and three down, where the Marlins had a team meeting on Tuesday, and it sounds like this was all ultimately about one player, Jazz Chisholm, a guy who fans love for his style and, of course, his production and everything he does on the field, but might not be quite as beloved by some of his teammates, and there were a lot of reports about this, and one even suggested that he's kind of like a Dennis Rodman for this Miami club, where you love the production, but some of the other things that go with it, maybe maybe the fans are loving it, but maybe his teammates are a little bit tired of some of it. He's a constant source of highlights for this Miami club, but it feels like this is kind of a divide that's been festering some this season, because you know Jazz was very outspoken on social media, kind of questioning some things in and around the club, and how he was being handled by manager Don Mattingly, among other things. I hate this. I mean, I hate the fact that we're talking about, you know, a guy that is is what draws kids to – this kind of player is what draws the kids to want to be, you know, to want to play baseball. Those fun, you know, the Ronald Acuna Jr. types that bring that swagger to the game and the fact that it's rubbing some of the older players the wrong way. I've – Again, we we talked about this with the Bray stuff. You don't know what's going on behind closed doors no. and how much there may be a you know a, a diva kind of label put on a guy. But I, I just think some of the reports that you read, you know, about the about the vibes and some concerns from older players on how guys carry themselves and whatnot. I just think that's the kind of stuff that at the end of the day is what turns younger guys, younger people off from this game. And I, I just hate that we're even having this conversation with a, a really bright young star. Yeah, no, I agree with all of that. I agree with absolutely all of that. And I think that this is one of the things where as much as you want to from the outside, I don't mean just you know fans, I mean the media, everybody. We are not inside the four walls of that clubhouse for every single thing that goes on. But I can tell you this, that I have learned over nearly 20 years of being around professional baseball teams is not everybody likes each other, and not everybody likes each other all the time. The radio industry is that way. Just about any other industry I've been through is that way. It's just the way that it works sometimes. But with this situation, you know, I, I don't feel like it should be handled during the press or, or through the press in ways where, well, let me just send another message here or there and everywhere about how I'm going to play or how you should play or this or that or the other. Now, having this meeting go on for nearly 90 minutes was something that had Don Mattingly come out and basically tell reporters, yeah, we could come out pretty flat tonight. They didn't, and Jazz Chisholm is still a very good player, and he's hit a couple of big home runs and done some things that you expect out of him. But this is an unfortunate place to be in for a club that you know should be, as years go on, on the rise. He should be a huge part of that, and it's just one of those things that we're just going to have to kind of figure out or he's going to have to kind of figure out because it's one thing to have all the style, all the flair, and all the things and, and show it on the, on the field, and I don't think there should ever be a limitation on that. But in a confined, small place with a whole lot of people over a long period of time, Sometimes the louder personalities get a little bit harder for teammates or coworkers or whoever to deal with, depending on where you're aiming all of that energy. But uh, be that as it may, I was not in the Marlins meeting. I don't know, and that's just my two cents, and we can move on from that because we're going to go from the clubhouse 
to potentially the courtroom because that sounds like where things are heading in Baltimore as the sons of longtime Orioles owner Peter Angelos are now fighting over the club, their father's law firm, and, of course, the family fortune. This all comes from a report from the Baltimore Banner that came out late last week where it appears Louis Angelos is suing his brother John and his mother, claiming his father intended for the two sons to have equal control of the ball club, and the younger Angelos claims the elder brother is taking complete control of the Orioles despite the trust that his father had put in place. Peter Angelos has been in poor health for the last five years. His wife, Georgia, meanwhile, has been looking for a way to sell the club, and Louis alleges that John put a stop to that and fired several longtime team employees to establish a front office full of yes-men. So as you can tell from this, and I was really trying to boil it down, this has gotten very ugly. There's a lot more here. This is what you call a bit of a mess. I hate that the plot for Succession Season 4 is already leaking out before we've even seen any. And they're not even arguing over the outfield walls in Baltimore. What a weird situation, though. And then you've got, you know, this innuendo that they're that you know that John would move the team to Tennessee and all right. this whatnot. And but you know, which is kind of weird because the Maryland state legislator just committed 1.2 billion dollars in funding to the mm-hmm. Camden Yard Sports Complex just a couple months ago. So that may not be uh, all that it's cracked up to be in those rumors. But uh, man, just uh, you know. It, what a what a bizarre situation for an organization that just seemingly just can't get out of its own way. Yeah, and I know Orioles fans have not been thrilled about the way the Angelos family has been running this club for quite some time, and you can tell with the way they've been going in the standings, it's probably pretty justified if you're an Orioles fan. And yep. a part of selling the team, it was clearly to perhaps get the Angelos family away from being the ones who did the everyday running of the club. But you got one son that is apparently very interested in being the man there for the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, Meanwhile, on the field, the Dodgers got some bad news over the weekend. Walker Bueller heading to the injured list with a flexor strain in his right elbow. The big blow to the Los Angeles rotation is Bueller's going to be shut down for six to eight weeks from throwing. That makes a late-season return the most optimistic outlook for the time being. We know the Dodgers' depth is, you know, has been well covered. They've been able to cover for injuries, and if they can't cover for it, they'll go out and get somebody. But losing Bueller in early June leaves them in somewhat of a precarious spot with the Padres breathing down their necks right now. I mean, the rotation is just really vulnerable. I mean, you got Clayton Kershaw back over the weekend, and then you got Walker Bueller out. Um, you, you look at what they've got right now, Kershaw. Julio Urias, uh, Gonsolin, uh, Tyler Anderson, and then they've got options after that. Mitch White, Ryan Pepo. How do you say that guy's last name? P E P I O T. I don't know. I, just I feel most pop yeah, I, just, I just feel yeah. I just feel so it out for everybody. Michael Grove. It's just not the scariest Dodgers rotation that we've come to expect. They could get Dustin May back uh, around the All Star break, but it's which just, would help. Which would help. But how long you have Walker Bueller out, I think, ultimately determines what this team is capable of when you get to that postseason. Because I don't think that you could sit here today and guarantee that Clayton Kershaw is going to be able to take the ball every fifth day for the duration of the season. I just don't think that's that's a, a li- the likelihood of that no. is strong. So are they going to go out in the market and try to enter that Frankie Montas market? I mean, I, I, they're going to have to do something because the depth of what they have right now is not scary with the Padres breathing down their neck. And they've got the farm system to do it with, so you know they can go out and get somebody if they need to. We're a long way from the trade deadline, but that's a big story to monitor out west where things could be quite the race between at least the Padres and the Dodgers if the Giants don't put all their stuff together and insert themselves in it as well. Meanwhile, Aaron Judge is slugging home runs at a Ruthian pace, and that's appropriate since the gargantuan slugger has developed into one of the greatest sluggers in Yankees history. With two more home runs on Saturday, he added to his MLB lead at 24 already. He's on pace for 65 home runs this season. That would establish a new Yankees record, passing, of course, the 61 by Roger Maris in 1961 and the 60 home runs Babe Ruth hit in 1927. This is a pretty distinguished and storied record, and all of this is coming as Judge stares out into free agency. This is not a bad way to hit the open market, is it? Not at all. And 
I mean, certainly if you want to look at it from the end of, you know, the, the guys that were linked to PEDs or the ones that are on top of the all-time home runs list, if you want to yeah, remove those, different. I mean, 66 that he's on pace for would be tied with Sammy Sosa for third most ever. But if you take those guys out, you mentioned Roger Maris for 61. I mean, you, you could be talking about, you know, the guys who don't have those clouds of suspicion over them. I mean, Aaron Judge on pace to stand alone in that regard. Yeah, he certainly is. And he's already turned down a $30-plus million a year, I think, seven-year offer from the Yankees as far as an extension was concerned prior to the season. So he is looking to go out into free agency. And this is the ultimate bet-on-yourself kind of moment, isn't it? Because you're looking for 300 or more million dollars. Aaron Judge could very well step up to the plate and hit that out of the park, too. But who, who, where else is he going to go? I mean, he's not going. I just don't, I don't see. Know, I just don't see another club that's going to pony up enough to get him. I, I think there's going to be ten or more clubs that will be very interested. Now, can they give him the three hundred million dollars? That's a whole other question. That, but there are clubs yeah, out the, there that could the, make the him a big offer. Will be, the interest will be there. I yeah. just think ultimately the Yankees have more money than anybody else does, and he's going to so, end up staying in pinstripes. But why not make the Yankees pay him a little bit more yes. than the two ten that they offered him yeah. beforehand? So. Good stuff happening for Aaron Judge and for the Yankees this year. We're going to talk a lot more about what else is happening across the world of baseball as we come back and go around the big leagues to break down what's happening. We'll begin in the National League next on From the Diamond here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Now, more From the Diamond with Graham McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. This is From the Diamond. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney with you from the Kia Studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. It's time to go around the big leagues here. Check in on what's happening across the National League and bring it on and back into that Braves talk that we like to have. And we're going to start in the National League East because the Braves are not the only team in the division that has had a long winning streak of late. Atlanta able to win its 11th consecutive game on Sunday, beating the Pirates by a 5-3 score. Longest winning streak since 2013 for the Braves, who moved within five games of the Mets, who were in action on Sunday night against the Los Angeles Angels. Meanwhile, the Philadelphia Phillies went on a nice long winning streak themselves. They actually got above 500 with their nine-game winning streak before losing on Sunday, and the Miami Marlins had picked up a five-game winning streak before losing on Sunday as well. So you kind of have the whole division in this run, Corey, where you know the Mets haven't played necessarily that poorly. They're five and five in their last ten, but you know they lose five games. The Braves win five games. Some very simple math says. You're five games closer in the standings than you were when this whole thing started. Yeah, the Mets uh, went to L.A. on June 2nd uh, for that 10-game stretch that they had in Southern California, up 10.5 games in the division. It's They still have the biggest lead of any NL team. Uh, the Mets still have the best record in the NL, and they've done all this minus Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer. Uh, you know, they've had the Dodgers, the Padres, and the Angels, and I know the Angels have hit hard times, but they're still playoff contenders. So uh, yeah. they've been on a, a, a pretty – daunting stretch here if you really think about it uh interesting because per espn strength of schedule metrics the mets have played the league's fourth hardest schedule 21 of their last 26 games when we look ahead into september come against teams with losing records so this was a key stretch as we know for teams especially the braves to try to make up that ground but man the phillies the, the magic of rob thompson lifted the phillies to a nine game winning streak that was snapped sunday in resounding fashion 13 to 1 a loss at the hand of the Diamondbacks, but they're now 30 and 30. It's their longest streak they've had since 2011. Uh, that was the last time that they made the playoffs, by the way. Thompson surpassed Matt Moran in 1915 as the only Philly manager to win his first nine games. He's the first to win the first nine since Joe Morgan won 12 in 1988 at the helm of the Red Sox. Uh, this team, they were they were just basically doing exactly what they were built to do when Joe Girardi couldn't get him to do it. They outscored teams 64 to 25 in that stretch. The starters, seventh in uh, in total uh, ERA, two nine eight in that stretch. 
They were outscoring, again, teams like crazy, that offense that they went out and got so much more firepower for. It's funny that Joe Girardi couldn't break through and mm-hmm. couldn't own that room in the same way, but um, they've done exactly what they were constructed for to Rob Thompson early on. Yeah, and you knew it was going to be the offense. It was going to do a lot of yeah. the heavy lifting for this club. They do have a couple of nice starting pitchers, at the very least, in Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler. That helps. Their bullpen, though, has been hit or miss. I mean, has it been better than some past years? Maybe. Uh, possibly. Probably, but that's not really raising the bar very high, and those aren't words that make you feel great about what's rolling out of the bullpen in the final six, seven, eight innings, nine innings of the baseball game. But uh, looking at this overall, I want to track this all the way back to 2012. 81, 73, 73, 63, 71, 66, 80, 81, 28. That's the COVID season. 82 was last year. That was over 500. That's where the Phillies found themselves for the first time since 2011. So it had been a hot minute since they had been a better than 500 club. So for them to go on a nine-game winning streak and get over 500 this year, I'm not trying to say, oh, well, they've peaked and they're not going to win any more games. They clearly are capable of winning more games. A nine-game winning streak of late would tell you they're better than they were over the first five, six weeks of the season. But this is a long-term thing in Philadelphia where they've been trying to do this climb to get themselves into and toward the top of the National League East. It's not just 2022. This is a culmination of about a decade's worth of struggle for that club. And nothing that's happened with Rob Thompson changes the deficiencies with this team, right? I mean, they were they were always going to be predicated by offense, as you mentioned, and, and with Bryce Harper unable to play in the field with that torn UCL. Right. The, the defense, especially that outfield defense, is going to continue to be nightmarish at times. The, the starting pitching, as you mentioned, uh, with Nola and Wheeler, they're seventh uh, with a 2.98 ERA in this stretch. They've been a top five rotation all season long. It's just the fact that their defense and their bullpen have just been really bad. I think they're going to be so aggressive at the deadline. I think they're going to go out and try to make some upgrades in that bullpen. I would not be stunned at all to see them just be to go out and get two, three guys to really shore things up. I think I think they're going to be extremely as aggressive as they try to run down that first playoff berth in uh, 11 years. Yeah, and this is the first, the last year was the first time the club had finished any higher than third as they finished second. The Mets collapsed, which opened the door for the Braves and for the Phillies, for that matter, in September. They still had a fighting chance with some head-to-head matchups against the Braves for things to swing in a different direction. It just simply didn't play out that way. But yeah, the National League East has been uh, very interesting of late. The Braves, though, have been, I think, stealing most of the headlines with an 11-game winning streak. That'll do it for you. But the rest of the division is starting to tighten up at least a little bit with the Phillies climbing back to the 500 range and the Marlins playing a little bit better. And maybe that was a result of airing out some grievances, maybe just some things that were unsaid needed to be said. That can be said in a – or that can happen in a, in a meeting as well as anything can. Uh, They have won seven of their last ten, have the Marlins. Meanwhile, the Nationals, who the Braves will be uh, checking out as of Monday with a series up in D.C., they played a little better lately. The middle of their lineup is stumping a little bit. Juan Soto is starting to look more like Juan Soto, but this is a club that, as of Sunday, is 16 games under five hundred, and will be welcoming the Braves for a three-game set on Monday. Meanwhile, since we uh, sat here last in the Kia Studios, the St. Louis Cardinals have moved ahead of the Milwaukee Brewers who finally won a game on Sunday after a long losing streak for them. But the St. Louis Cardinals have a half-game lead as they get ready to battle the Pittsburgh Pirates for a series that will start at the open of the week. And, you know, we knew the Cardinals have been playing better lately, and it really took this eight-game losing streak by the Brewers to really flip this thing around and allow the Cardinals, despite only kind of playing 500 ball of late, to walk into first place. 
I mean, that's certainly going to help matters, right? When the team yeah. in front of you just can't seem to get If you can't win 11 or, or so in a row like the Braves are doing, no. might as well have your opponent lose eight straight. That's right. But I look at what this Cardinals team's gotten done. Miles Michaelis, Dakota Hudson been huge for that rotation. Tommy Edmonds helps, you know, that Paul Goldschmidt-led offense. Yep. Nolan Arenado has faded. He was a 214 WRC plus in April, then 84, so 16% below league average in May. He's been better in June. Uh, but not on that same level. Tyler O'Neill just got back. They've done this with Jack Flaherty and Steven Matz on the IL. I think you could. that's almost the most encouraging part of it, right, is that you've gotten yourself to this part without being – not anybody team's going to be completely 100% full strength, but the fact that they're missing so many key pieces, especially in that rotation, and, and the fact that Arenado's kind of gone through these ebbs and flows after that ridiculous first month – um, it, the, the Brewers thing's just so crazy, right? I mean, their pitching has absolutely failed them. A 6.86 ERA over this stretch, and that's from the starters who, before the series against the Braves just a yeah. few weeks ago, were the best starting staff in baseball. And now we're talking about them being a nearly 7 ERA amongst that group. So um, something positive I will say from them, though, is Christian Yelich moved to the leadoff spot, hitting over 440 there. So if you're looking for signs that this guy – 2018 NL MVP, who's been really down the last couple of years, if he's going to have an opportunity to put things back together, um, that's at least an encouraging sign for the Brewers. Yeah, I mean, it's encouraging, but you talk about that Brewers pitching staff, that was a continuation of 2021 when they were boasting the best starting rotation, I think, in the National League, if not all of baseball. And that's, you know, when it's headed by a Cy Young Award winner, there's a pretty good reason uh, to make the case that they are the best. And it simply has not been the case lately that they've been able to pitch and keep the Brewers in games. And anytime you lose eight in a row, it's usually not just one part of your team that's not producing. It's usually different things on different nights. And that happens to be the same way that you win a whole bunch of games in a row is different parts of your club are able to step up, but everything's kind of working in concert. The Brewers uh, have the exact opposite going on. Meanwhile, the uh, Cubs and the Pittsburgh Pirates have both lost six consecutive games. After the Braves are done with the Nationals, they will get another look at the Cubs, the club that they saw back in April, and then the Cincinnati Reds, who just continue to be the bottom of the Central, one of the worst records in Major League Baseball, just 21-39 and 39 as they sit in the cellar of the Central Division. Out in the West, the Padres, we mentioned, are breathing down the necks of the Dodgers. They've matched them in the win column, just a half game back as they have one more loss than L.A. 37-22, the Dodgers 37-23 and 23 are the Padres, those teams in action on Sunday. But coming into the day, we already knew this was going to be a pretty tight race and the loss of Walker Bueller for the Dodgers. This could not come at a worse time. Not that there's any good time to lose one of your best starters. With the Padres, I mean, Manny Machado has been their constant, but Jake Cronenworth got off, is off to a really strong start in June. The production puts him in the top 30 uh, in all of baseball during that time period. Jerks and Profar has rebounded from a step back May, and Joe Musgrove has been absolutely ridiculous. He's the yep. only pitcher to go 7-0 and or better with an ERA of 1.50 or lower and 70-plus Ks in 11 starts, and I know that's a lot of stuff, but he's the only guy to ever do that since they started tracking ERA in 1913. Wow. I mean, Joe Musgrove is just having an early Cy Young caliber season. Uh, meanwhile, Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to see a doctor this week and what's hopefully the final clearance for him to finally start getting back into baseball activity. There's hope that, you know, at least sometime, uh, maybe the first couple of weeks in July around the All-Star break, that they get one of the best players in all of baseball back in the lineup. And this is an obvious question, but one that just bears bringing up considering what they've been able to accomplish with without Fernando Tatis. They have to feel good about that, number one. Number two, though, they have to feel good that, hey, we're in this position and we're getting Fernando Tatis back. If you look at what the Braves were doing, they were really struggling and looking forward to getting Ronald Acuna Jr. back. And sure, he wasn't out as long as Fernando Tatis has been out, but 
this could be a pretty big difference maker for a club that's already starting to click in other areas. Absolutely. I mean, and that, I think it's the same story with the Mets, right? I mean, if, if you're, you know, if you're the Padres and you're within, you know, you're up on the Dodgers, you're within, you know, shouting distance to the Dodgers and you know you've got him coming back in much the same way, you know, with the Mets, if you have a division lead and you know you've got two of the best pitchers of this generation coming back, I mean, yeah. it's, it's just all about how much can you keep things afloat before those true difference makers arrive and, um, they're doing more than uh, holding down the fort in the Padres right now. Yeah, looking down toward the bo- middle to bottom of the National League West, the San Francisco Giants, they are over 500, but they're still four and a half games out as of Sunday's action where these clubs, and they're actually going to be battling the L.A. Dodgers uh, in order to try to maybe pick up a game if they can find out a way to or find a way to grab a win there. They've won two in a row. Uh, Diamondbacks, meanwhile, they did put a thumping 13-1 to 1, uh, beating of the Phillies. We've got too many winning streaks going on, and that one, I guess, is not going on anymore since they lost. And then you got the Colorado Rockies, a club that has not really gotten much out of Chris Bryant this year. We just saw them not long ago. The Braves swept them in a four-game series, and uh, just not a lot looks like it's going right for the Rockies after what was a bit of an encouraging month of April, I thought, that maybe they were going to somehow, despite their best efforts, take a step forward because this is a club that has been known to kind of shoot itself in the foot with player personnel moves. I will say, though, the one thing with them is you can absolutely expect to see C.J. Crone in L.A. for the All-Star game. He continues to be one of the lone bright spots for this team, top 10 uh, war among all first basemen, fourth in homers. Uh, I mean, this team is 11. They haven't won back-to-back games since May 4th and 5th. Uh, going, uh, it's just it's just a train wreck right now. But CJ Crone continues to be a really good story. Yeah, and now we, I think we can start looking at wild card spots. And would you believe it now that the Braves have moved into a spot where they would actually have one of the wild card spots in the National League? The San Diego Padres, also the San Francisco Giants, uh, Milwaukee Brewers, all these are clubs that are in contention for you know, wild card spots. And you look at the division leaders, which right now, of course, are the Mets and the Cardinals and the Dodgers, but. You can start to look at a little bit more of the playoff picture in the month of June and heading toward the All-Star break because you know all these clubs are because they're going to start figuring out, okay, what am I adding and what can I get? And that San Francisco team you know, is going to, that the Braves are going to have uh, in their sights here coming up after this run of uh, sub-500 teams, I mean, like the Dodgers, they're dealing with a ton of injuries to their rotation. They just put Jacob Junis in the I.L. with a hamstring. Uh, Anthony DiScafani's on the I.L. Alex Cobb's on the I.L. Th- those guys could be back in June, but their bullpen 22nd uh, with a 4-2-6 ERA. They, they were the worst bullpen in baseball in May, and that's the team that the Braves are just kind of right neck and neck. The, the uh, Giants and Brewers are right behind them for those uh, those uh, wild card spots. So, um, yeah, the Giants coming up, so that's going to be a good test for the Braves. Yeah, Padres and Braves holding on to wild card spots, but again, the Giants, the Brewers, and even the Phillies, three games out of one, all clubs that are fighting for it. That's what's going on in the National League. When we come back here on From the Diamond, we'll take a look at the American League as we continue here. On Sports Radio 92.9, the game. I love baseball. Now back to more Grant McCauley and From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9, the game. This is Sports Radio 92.9, the game. This is From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley, joined by Corey McCartney as always. We hope that you're following along with us on social media. You can find me at Grant McCauley. You can find Corey at Corey J. McCartney, the station at 92.9. You can find From the Diamond at From the Diamond with an underscore on the end on Twitter. No underscore on Instagram, and of course, if you're following along with From the Diamond, want to make sure you're subscribed. You can get us wherever you find your podcasts. All right, let's take a look around the American League here and where the Yankees became the first team in Major League Baseball to win 40 games here in the 2022 season. They've taken 9 of 10. They pushed the pack even further back. The Blue Jays have been surging, but they're 8.5 games out. Corey heading into Sunday, Rays 9 games back in third place. 
Red Sox have surged over 500, but even they are 12 and a half games behind the Yankees, who again became the first team to win 40 games. They just don't lose, and if they do, it doesn't happen very often. Yeah, good luck to the rest of the American League East. Giancarlo Stanton, by the way, had the hardest-hit ball of the season on Saturday, 119.8 mile per hour, part of a six-homer outburst uh, and a win over the Cubs. It was the hardest-hit ball in the major since last September when wow. he hit one at 120.3. In the StatCast era, there have been 17 hits, 17 with an exit velo of at least 119.8. Stanton owns 14 of them, yeah. and the other three are by Aaron Judge. I mean, they might as well rename StatCast StantonCast because he <laughs> has had just the exit velocities. He's synonymous with that. I mean, I mean this I go is a guy that hits like, the ball so hard, yeah. so often, it's just it's above and beyond. And I think back to that R.A. Dickey home run that he hit in Atlanta that just went right underneath the camera well, and yeah. I think it would have put a hole in the side of the stadium uh, had there not been a, a wall there. Um, but this team just does not have any holes, right? I mean, you mentioned the lead that they have in the division. It's the league's best offense. In terms of WRC plus, they're number one by a large margin in pitching. They have a number one rotation. I mean, maybe they end up trying to find a new home for Joey Gallo, who has just been, I mean, god awful in pinstripes and just doesn't seem to fit in. Yeah, I mean, maybe that is hell. a hole, but everything else is so good that yeah. it doesn't matter. And I mean, that they could make some additions to the bullpen. They uh, Rollis Chapman was having some issues before he went on the aisle, but I will say they've got you know he's coming back obviously with a number of other guys, but they're going to be in that market. I think for guys like David Bednar from the pirates who I've mentioned on here before, Michael Fulmer, Mark Melanson, Ian Kennedy, David Robertson. I would anticipate if they're going to do anything, it's probably going to be in that bullpen. I wouldn't be surprised to see them try to do something with Gallo. What's funny, those last three guys you mentioned have all pitched for the Yankees before, but yep. you know that oftentimes is just as much as you need of um, just knowing that you can bring this guy in and know what to expect from him. But there are going to be clubs like the Diamondbacks, I would imagine, and like the Cubs, and of course like the Pirates who could unload their closers. And I think Bednar could be the all-star representative for the Pittsburgh Pirates. I really can't see anybody taking that mantle away from him. And I can't see the Pirates sending multiple players to the All-Star game, but Bednar has been perhaps the best reliever in baseball and maybe one of the more off-the-radar kind of names that you might not have heard much about him, but you see those stats and you see what he does and you realize he pitches for a club that doesn't get a whole lot of publicity. This has been a pretty good season uh, for the Pirates reliever. Oh, without question. I mean, he's got an ERA of one two nine. I mean, you look at the the whiff rates on him. I mean, they're all you know, I mean, they're all exactly in that you know seventy eighty percentile. I mean, this guy is just absolutely getting it done. Um, obviously, on a team where he flies under the radar big time. So yeah, I think he's going to be he's going to be definitely one of those names when you start thinking about you know, and guys that are moved along, um, you know, the hard hit rates are low on him. Everything just kind of sets. He He's going to be elevated in a major way, I think, in the second half of the season. Yeah, and we're going to be talking more and more and more as we get closer and closer and closer to the trade deadline, uh, which is, what, early August now because mm-hmm. of the late start to the season. So they tacked on, what's another 72 hours, something like that, yep. onto the trade deadline just to give you a little bit more time. So it's not the usual, you know, 4 p.m. Uh, July 31st that it has been in years past. But I don't know if three more days is enough for clubs to decide, hey, we're that much closer to a playoff spot or not. But we know that there's going to be, I would think, a lot of movement, and the Yankees are going to be very active because they've got a little thing going here that we can talk about, how quickly they got to 40 wins, how they have this division salted away. But we can also talk about the postseason disappointments this club has had for about a decade, not quite a decade and a half. They did win it all in 2009, but since then, it has not been smooth sailing through October for the Yankees, despite all of the money, all of the all-star players, and all of the things that they've done to get there, they haven't been able to win the big one, and it's been a while for them, even though they should feel pretty good about the 27 they have. I just don't know who's going to take them down in the AL. 
I mean, maybe the I don't know. I mean, the Twins, you know, don't uh, they've had their deficiencies. You know, and the they've Astros. had a lot of deficiencies against the against the New York Yankees in the postseason. Yeah, as well. exactly. I, I mean, the, the, the skid there, you know, just stretches on and on and on. The Astros, you know, have the pedigree, and they've got Justin Verlander back. But I think you know they've gone through their own lull this season too. It's just the Yankees are that one team in the in the American League that's had their foot down on the gas the entire time. It just I, I think they're going to do something just because I can't see them saying this is good enough to mm-hmm. get the job done. But, man, they're just they're just so, so good. Yeah, and if they ever had a reason to buy, more so than they've ever had, and not that they've had any trouble buying in the past, but if they ever had the motivation to do it, they do look like far and away the best club in Major League Baseball mm-hmm. here in 2022. So if you're not you know, doing everything you can to make your club better, then what exactly are you doing if you're the club that's sitting there with that opportunity? And maybe if there's a club that's going to take them down, Maybe it ends up being somebody inside that division. Maybe it's an, an internal foe, if you will, because you do have the Blue Jays and the Rays, who I think are going to be in that playoff position and have the opportunity to perhaps match up with the Yankees. And all you have to do is win a series. And the Yankees have found that out the hard way for many, many times over the last, what, 13 years since they last won the World Series. And we'll see how that all plays out. You brought up the Minnesota Twins. They continue to sit atop the American League Central, though the Cleveland Guardians are starting to make a push. They're up over 500. they They've won 7 out of 10 and they are a club that has one of the hottest hitters and one of the best players in baseball on their club, and that's Jose Ramirez, and he just continues to prove why. And the Indians and now the Guardians have let a lot of players go over the past, what, seven or eight years. Mm -hmm. They have held on to perhaps the best of the bunch, and that would be Jose Ramirez. I will make a PSA right now. If you were going to fill out your all-star ballot out there in Braves country and you're going to try to you know, get all the Braves to be in the, the top few guys there and they're in this first phase of voting, you absolutely have got to have Jose Ramirez on your ballot. If not for the season that Aaron Judge would be having, he would be the AL's fangraph uh, fan war leader right now. And yeah. He's tied with Manny Machado uh, for second place. I mean, just it's just been the, the production's been insane from him, you know, hitting 88% above league average. He's gone deep 16 times. I mean, he, he told the Guardians... I don't want to be anywhere else. Yeah, and you know, it's just been an unbelievable run from him uh, this season. And um, you know, what a special player! I think that you know we talk about. With I mean, it's David Bednar maybe under the radar. I think Jose Ramirez is criminally under the radar. I mean, this guy is a top five player in all of baseball yeah. and does not get that love. Now, Cleveland, three games back of Minnesota. The Twins got some bad news this week as Royce Lewis has retorn his already surgically repaired ACL. He did it while playing center field and colliding with the wall. This was a kid that it seemed like it was all coming together for him. He got up to the big leagues. He was having some success. Then, of course, Carlos Correa uh, was on the injured list and came back. So Royce couldn't play shortstop. They wanted him to play some other positions. He ended up in center field, which I guess was just an amalgamation of things because Byron Buxton gets banged up and is not always out there every single day. It's just this kid found himself in the worst possible position by just being befallen by yet another injury. It's kind of out of your control. You play hard, and these kind of things happen, but you hate to hear that this is the second ACL tear for a kid that it seems like the sky's the limit, and the Twins were hoping to get big things out of here in 2022. And he was hitting so well, too. I mean, yep. 867 OPS, you know, 148 WRC+. Plus. Um, one positive, though, with him is that he'll be on the major league uh, injured list, so he's going to get uh, MLB pay and service time during right. this. So that does least, make a big difference. That, yeah, that's one thing, at least for him. He still has a shot at earning Super 2 status um, in qualifying for arbitration after the 24 season. So a guy who's you know been through the what he's been through uh, and will go through again uh, with another injury, but at least uh, at least something there, at the, uh, some light at the end of the tunnel for him. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of a silver lining, yeah. but as you no, know and, and, I, and I both right. know, I mean, like while that part is nice and – 
you'd much rather be out on the field and not have to go through all that if you can help it. And for Royce Lewis, unfortunately, this is the position he finds himself in. The Twins, meanwhile, will have to you know, go without another young, talented player. So they're going to need some of the other guys to step up, stay healthy, and give them a chance to maybe do some buying by the time the trade deadline gets around. We talked about the White Sox earlier in the show. They are under 500. They continue to find ways to stay in their own way. And uh, one of them, arguably, maybe not arguably, would be the guy who's calling the shots for him. The Tony Larusa debacle against Trey Turner, intentionally walking him with two strikes, and then Max Muncie hitting a home run, and the White Sox have blown more than their fair share of games, including one on Saturday in which that had the Chicago faithful chanting to fire Tony in regards to Larusa. This has been kind of an ugly season for them. That might be an understatement. Well, they've just dealt with so many injuries, but they're getting Lance Lynn back, and he's uh, supposed to be activated from the injured list in order to start Tuesday's game against the Tigers. I mean, their rotation depth has just been tested in so many different ways uh, on top of you know not having Lynn at any point. Lucas Giolito's been in the IL twice. Vince Velasquez is currently out with a groin injury. Dallas Keuchel was so bad that they released him. Um, yep. You know the starting court. Starting court's held his own though. I mean, Dylan Cease, Michael Kopech, Johnny Cueto. Their, their starters have a three nine nine ERA in the year's unit, which is fourth fourteenth best in the majors. And when you consider all that they've been through, that's not that bad. I mean, so I, I think getting Lynn back on Tuesday is a, is another step for them. But certainly, this is a team that's had basically everything that can go wrong has gone wrong. Uh, they just, you know, have been nowhere near the team that I think a lot of the forecasts had them potentially winning this division by double digits, and they are nowhere near that right now. Uh, no, they are not double digits anywhere. Even in the wild card, they just don't really have a, a good leg to stand on there. So, I mean, this is something where you get into a point in the schedule where you've got to get some things done. Not a lot else happening in the American League Central. Detroit, though, got some bad news. Casey Mize is going to undergo Tommy John surgery, so they're a uh, number one young pitcher mm-hmm. is going to be on the shelf for what looks like at least the next 12 months as well. That's some bad news for the Detroit Tigers. Out in the West, it is the Houston Astros who have used both their big winning streak and, of course, the long losing streak of the Angels to climb atop those standings. That doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. you got the Angels, the Texas Rangers, Seattle Mariners, and, of course, the Oakland Athletics, who are 20 games under 500, all under 500, actually, all of those teams are the Astros look like they have uh, what would amount to the catbird seat in the West. If anybody can push them, they're going to have to get to work, and they have to get to work soon. And for the Angels, they have just done a lot to damage their chances of trying to chase down the Houston Astros. We spent a lot of time last week, uh, I say a lot of time, but we spent time last week talking about Jeremy Pena and the work that he's done uh, picking up for Carlos Carrasco, or Carlos Carrasco, Carlos Correa at shortstop there in Houston. Uh, He was off to such a really strong start, but on the month now, he's got a 500 OPS, significantly lower than the 872 he had in May, the 763 that he had in April. So he's still the odds-on favorite for American League Rookie of the Year, but it's just not been nearly as great as it was early on. But certainly what has happened out in Anaheim, uh, has helped uh, considerably in terms of uh, the, the the Astros' point in this, and you know th- this is still a team again that we, they mm-hmm. they had the pedigree, they've done it, they've got Verlander back, and he's been fantastic. So um, yeah, the the, the Astros seem as bad as it's odds on as you can get in terms of winning away with a division title. Yeah, and when you do look at the standings right now, is there 14 games over 500? I mean, honestly, they can play 500 ball, and then you've got the yeah. the Angels who are going to have to really turn it on to get anywhere close to them and make a push and. That is going to be a tall order despite having about 100 games left to play. Looking at the wild card in the American League, you have the Blue Jays and the Rays who have those two spots locked down up top. Then you've got the Guardians and the Red Sox who have pushed their way in. Then the Angels and the White Sox both find themselves on the outside of that wild card picture looking in as we complete the second week of the month of June. So that's what's happening around the American League. It's been 
you know, some ups and downs, which we expect to see early in the season. There is a lot of baseball left to be played, but it looks like in all three of these races right now, anyway, there's just not a clear challenger that has been able to make up enough ground to make much of a race of it. I guess that the Cleveland Guardians are the come lately in the Central that are at least getting close, but the East and the West, both of those are just a couple of um, races that have clear front runners and the Yankees and, of course, the Astros we just talked about who don't seem like they're going to give up a lot of ground. If they are, it's going to be a long, steep climb for whoever gets there. The Guardians could are going to make things interesting, but certainly, I mean, it, there, there's no question. I mean, I, I think the one thing I will say is – with the Angels, despite how bad it got, you're still only two and a half games out of a wild card spot, right? I mean, I think that's that's the one. No, no team who has ever lost 12 games in a row mm-hmm. has made the postseason. They lost 14 games in a row. So history not on their side, but we've also never had that happen in an environment where we had an additional postseason spot. So at least there's the the, the potential there that they can stay within you know shouting distance. Maybe talent wins out and they ultimately end up. Yeah. And as we know with a wild card, though, I think in a lot of cases it can be harder to lock down one of those spots because, and this is why clubs like to win their division, because you win that, you punch your ticket to the postseason. You don't have to get into the middle of a dog pile and climb over a whole bunch of teams. You're not sitting there in the last week of the season saying, okay, well, if we win and these three teams lose, (laughs) then we've got a chance to get into the postseason. You just don't want to be there if you don't have to be. So that'll wrap things up for our look around the American League. Again, it's the Yankees on top in the East, the Twins in the Central, and the Astros are on top out west. When we come back, we'll wrap up this edition of From the Diamond with a look at what's ahead this upcoming week for the Atlanta Braves. And we'll do it next on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Baseball. Talking Braves and beyond. Baseball. With From the Diamond, Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back to From the Diamond. Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney with you as we wrap up this week's edition of the show. We hope you're following along with us on social media at From the Diamond underscores, where you can find the show on Twitter at 92.9 The Games, where you can find the station. You can find me at Grant McCauley, and you can find Corey at Corey J. McCartney. And let's look at what's the haps for the Braves in the week ahead. That's what we're going to focus on here as we close out this show. It's a road trip, Corey, three in Washington, three in Chicago, an off day sandwiched in between, and we talked about this early on as the Braves have extended their winning streak to 11 games. They have been doing what we said they need to do and what they know they need to do. That's beat sub-500 teams. Two more on the docket for them as they head out on this road trip. That's a trend that simply has to continue. And things are going to get so much interesting after this is over with, right? You get four games against the Giants, and you got three with the Dodgers, and then three with the Phillies uh, before they get it back into a stretch. Uh, three games again then with the Reds. Well, they get a little bit of a taste of those sub-500 teams again. But um, this is it feels like a crucial stretch and obviously an opportunity to, uh, you know, to equal that longest uh, winning streak they've had since 2013. Uh, the pitching matchups, I think, to, to really stick out uh, for this Washington series that's upcoming, especially that Tuesday one. You got Steven Strasburg, who just came back, uh, made his uh, debut for the season, uh, just uh, hasn't pitched. You know, he's pitched like, what, 29 and a half innings uh, these past two years. So they've now got him back in the fold now, 26 and two thirds the past two innings, excuse me. Uh, made his return on Thursday against the Marlins, 83 pitches, four and two thirds with seven runs on eight hits, two walks and a wild pitch, five strikeouts, and a hit batter. He also gave up. A so home run. A little something in every kind. A little something of everything there. Yeah. So what level of Steven Strasburg are you going to get? I mean, is it basically, you know, it's almost like you put him out there and, you know, for the Nationals, it's like, oh, at least it's a guy that we've heard of and we you know, the guy that we're paying a whole bunch of money to. And it's not this, you know, I, I just think he's he's still, 
getting his reps built back up to the I point would where you're so. not expecting him to be anything that he was before, you know, at least not to this point. But look at the success that guys in this roster have had against him. Marcelo Zuna's got a 900 OPS against him. Ronald Cunha Jr. over 1,100. Uh, you know, there's five, six guys on here who have hit multi-home runs against Strasburg. So I think that pitching matchup, him and Max Fried, who we know has been you know, absolutely lights out and been every bit the ace expected uh, this year. I think that matchup in particular is going to be a lot of fun. No, it should be. So let's get into those pitching matchups here and talk about those for the three games in Washington, beginning at 7.05 Eastern time on Monday night. Ian Anderson and Josiah Gray, that's a couple of good young right-handers. Then you get the veterans of the staff, if you want to call them that. He's the longest tenured Brave starter, right? Max Fried will Matchup with Steven Strasburg in Game 2 on Tuesday. Then on Wednesday, you got Spencer Strider back out on the road, making his fourth start of the season. He'll take on Eric Fetty, the right-hander for the Washington club. And I'm interested to see, as I always am, what Spencer Strider is able to do. But I guess having seen what he did over the weekend with his big start on Friday night with eight strikeouts and five and two-thirds innings, looking as good as he did there, if he's able to find that, replicate that, and just quite simply do that again, this goes a long way towards solidifying himself as the Braves' fifth starter, unless or until Mike Soroka comes back, I would imagine. Everything that he, I mean, the entire arsenal for Spencer Strider is just insane, right? I mean, you got a four seamer that teams are hitting 184 against, a slider that they're 179 against, uh, you know, the, the average. Uh, Mile per hour on that fastball, ninety-eight point three, which is in you know the the upper you know ninety-third percentile, ninety-eighth percentile, excuse me, across the entire league. Um, it, it's just it, it's just so daunting, and I, I'm really going to be interested to see how long you know he has an opportunity to stick there because I think even when you get Mike Soroka back. Are you really? Do you really feel like he's going to get the ball every fifth day, or could they go to more of a six-man look while you know Soroka builds things back up? I think if you've got if you've got Strider stretched out, unless you're going to piggyback the two of them or something along those lines, I think you could easily go, you know, six man. And, and if you like what you have in Strider, you don't have to push the envelope in uh, Soroka early on. Here's the thing, though. Every single year, there's some time that comes up where people talk about six man rotation and it's nobody true. likes doing it because it takes everybody off of their regular routine. It pushes things, you know, just to a, a level where I just don't think you want to do that start after start after start. It's different than giving somebody an extra day you know, when they need it, once in a while. It's a whole different thing, I think, to bump it to a six-day. It might not sound like a big deal, but clubs seem to be very hesitant to do it, and nobody trots out there saying, all right, this is our six-man rotation for this season, and we're going to roll with it. It just never seems to work out that way. And on the flip side of that coin, injury always seems to play a role in why you're not going to have six starters who you feel strong enough about to go for that long. But let me ask you this, because this is a kind of a different thing. We did not talk about this earlier on. I know Charlie Morton's coming off a start against the Pirates where he punched out 12 guys over six innings, and you feel good about that. He gave up four runs in that start. He continues to give up a lot of runs and start after start after start. But if Mike Soroka does come back and Spencer Strider's throwing the ball well, would it in fact be Spencer Strider's spot in rotation that might be in jeopardy here? Because if Charlie Morton is not able to become the Charlie Morton that the Braves need him to be, if he's the guy struggling in rotation, would the Braves perhaps consider maybe that's the change that they need to make at that time. I mean, it's out there. It's a possibility. It might sound crazy, but then again, it might be something that we'd have to consider, but there's a lot of things that happen between now and then. Yeah, I mean, he's just been... It's just been off, right? It's I mean, been an enigma, right? Yeah, and you look at the first innings out of him, and it's in over 10 ERA. I mean, that's the worst that he's had since you know his his first couple seasons 
uh, in the bigs. Uh, you know, he obviously relies so much on that curveball that's, that's really since he reinvented himself. You know, the second time in Houston has really been his one of his biggest weapons. It's the the batting average against that pitch has jumped a hundred points year over year, a hundred points. I mean, it's just been. He's just been not the same guy. And, you know, you look at the spin rate on it, it's just a tick down than where it was a year ago. And if you want to blame the ball, if you go back to 2020, his spin rate is, you know, demonstrably better than it was mm-hmm. in 2020. So as much as I kind of, look, you know, thought about it early on, okay, maybe maybe what's dealing with that curveball is the ball itself. But if the spin rate is higher, it, it it's maybe not be, be that. No, it can't. I just, he's just not been himself. And I don't know if it, if it has anything to do with you know the the length of time to come back mm-hmm. from what he came back from, but certainly he has not been anywhere near close to what he was before, and just that the whiff rate, everything is just a little bit shade down from what you expect from Charlie Morton. Yeah, it has been, and when you look at what's going on on this road trip and where his next outing is going to be, you know it's going to be out in Chicago. He would start the opener. He's lined up to on Friday. And it's going to be afternoon games at Wrigley Field. We know those can be a little bit treacherous at times. The ball can really be flying, depending on which way the wind's blowing. And, you know, really for Charlie Morton, it's regardless of who the opponent is, the Cubs are a sub-500 team. They're a team that's got a couple of batters that might give you a little bit of trouble, but you feel like this is a lineup you should be able to navigate fairly well. But with Charlie, really nothing's come easy this year. And I don't know, depending on if the wind's blowing out on that day, if this could be another challenging outing for him. But you got to go with what's in front of you, right? you got to go out there and try to make those adjustments. A couple of home runs by the Pittsburgh Pirates off of him in the first inning of his start over the weekend, and you didn't really expect the Pittsburgh Pirates to beat up on Charlie Morton. Alas, that's kind of what they did with four runs over six innings, and that's not really the club that you look at and think this should be a a hard ride for a pitcher as distinguished as Morton has been over the course of at least the last four or five years. He's allowed four runs in each of his last four starts. And, I mean, look at his splits on the season. And his ERA is 2.5 runs higher, 6.89 on the the road than it's been at home, which is 4-3-4. I mean, teams are hitting 80 points higher against him on the road. And then you add in, you know, a home run friendly park that he's going to be going to in that next uh, spot up there in uh, Wrigley Field. I just... He just really needs to put together just one or two outings where you feel like he's got his uh, his mojo back. I mean, he, he kind of looked like he had turned the corner when you go back to that May 8th start against the Brewers, and, you know, he goes out there for five and, you know, doesn't allow a run. Next time out against the Padres, you know, he goes six innings and just gives up one run, and then it just starts to just accumulate. accumulate. And obviously you mentioned the strikeouts, a season-high 12. He had eight before that. But the the runs are just— and, Still and, coming. Yeah, they're still coming, and— it would be nice to just pinpoint one thing and say that's what's going wrong with Charlie Morton. But yeah. it just feels like it's just a number of things. It's just like just everything just doesn't feel like it's it's close to what it was a year ago. Yeah, I mean, he's leading the league in hit batsmen, but that's not a surprise. He's done that four other times in his career, and that's in and of itself not a really big deal. But his hit rate is up uh, nearly three full hits per nine innings. His walk rate is up over another walk per nine innings, approaching nearly four walks per nine. His strikeout rate down slightly. His fielding independent pitching is also as high as it's been since 2010. That was his third season in the big leagues when he was with the Pirates and was 2-12 and with a 7.57 ERA. It has not reached those kinds of levels and those kinds of lows for Charlie Morton. It's been, as Corey, you suggested, an up-and-down kind of mixed bag at best for him, and you wish you could figure out exactly what the one thing is that he could key in on and fix. But, you know, he's marching through the mid-portion of June now with an ERA that is the highest that it's been since 2010, when, again, he was well over seven that year. 
It's approaching six right now. He's got the four consecutive starts of four runs allowed. And it's not to just point out Charlie Morton and beat up on him, but it's as perplexing as it is anything that a guy with his stuff is just not being able to you know, harness that and get back to doing the things that he has done so well. Really, if you track it back to 2017 when he joined the Astros, and I'm sure, I mean, he's mentioned this after a couple of other starts. He's just, it's aggravating to him to not I'm be sure. able to go out there and, you know, he knows he can get the innings, but is he going? What, what are they going to provide? You know, what is he? What, what version of him is going to be out there from start to start? And, you know, these early inning issues just continue to be the weirdest thing. I mean, you, you look at what he's able to do. You know, later in the game, I mean, it just. Again, 10-5-0 ERA in the first inning, and then 5 in the second. Then he seems to kind of find his way through things. It's been one five nine in the third, .82 uh, in the, the fifth. He just needs to get through whatever happens in those early outings, uh, in, in early innings, and, and try to find his groove. But um, it's just been the, the first inning issues. I mean, he's given up four first inning home runs. It, he, guys are getting to him, and they're getting to him consistently early on in games. Yeah, the nine home runs he's allowed this year in 60 and a third innings through 12 starts has his home runs per nine up about half of, uh, well, up .5 over what was a sub one in terms of home runs per nine, and that usually is where you'll find Charlie is below one. He's not even averaging giving up one home run every nine innings. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm going to make a point here. I'm going to get to it, and we're going to get to it before the end of the show. But to me, the long ball is a struggle. The walks are a struggle. The hit batsmen are a struggle. The overall amount of base hits, and it's not just, hey, guys are punching it through the shift and they're beating it the other way. I mean, he has given up a little bit more hard contact this year to the point of the home runs than I've seen recently, and certainly more than he was given up last year in 2021 when he was, along with Max Reed, one of the anchors of the Braves rotation. Yeah, that hard hit rate is up 3.2% at 41.9 uh, right now. That's I mean, that's one of the biggest jumps when you look at those year-to-year changes with yeah. him. I mean, the, the launch angle is a little bit, is nearly 4% up, but that's um, that's the big thing is they're just, they're just getting to him consistently uh, and they're just, I mean, everybody's doing it. And they're also, he's, he's also throwing a lot more pitches out of the zone than he was a year ago. So mm-hmm. I just don't think he's just, the command is just not there like it was a year ago. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it was. So uh, nonetheless, I just thought I'd bring up the Charlie Morton thing because clearly we've talked about it a lot over the first couple of months and you're hoping that, all right, well, he kind of knocks the rust off a bit. I mean, the broken leg in the World Series notwithstanding, you know, he did come back this season with a little bit of a comeback in his mind, and he was interrupted over the course of the winter and got a shortened spring training and was then thrown back out there to try to come back from what I would say is a pretty major injury. I haven't broken my leg, but I wouldn't look forward to trying to face major league hitters coming off of one of those. And and he has now had 12 starts, and it just hasn't been the results that he would like and that the Braves were looking for, hopefully, out of Charlie Morton and bringing him back for the 2022 season. But Charlie will not be starting until the Cubs series. And again, it's the Washington Nationals who are due up first for the Braves on this road trip. Then you mentioned, and just to talk about it briefly, you see the Giants, you see the Dodgers right after that. Giants are a club that are above 500. The Dodgers are who we know that they always are, which is one of the Braves' biggest nemesis that you're going to find. And perhaps them and the New York Mets this year, in terms of winning the NL East, are going to be the two clubs that the Braves are always going to circle on the calendar and try to beat up on those teams each and every time they face them. But it should be interesting to see, once the Braves do get across the 29 games against sub-500 clubs, to battle it out with the Giants, to battle it out with the Dodgers who have 
one of the best records in baseball again, and that should come as no surprise to anyone. I mentioned earlier the issues that the the Giants are having with that rotation. All the guys that are the on the IL, I mean, they could. There's still a strong chance that they're not going to be at full strength from that rotation standpoint when they face the Braves. So, I mean, that may be a shell of the Giants team that they've previously seen or mm-hmm. we've seen. I think that obviously that Dodgers stretch, those three games in Atlanta. You're going to hear all those Freddie Freeman stories yep. again. He's going to get his World Series yep. ring. That's going to be the series. That's going to where that's going to be the measuring stick for this team early in the first half. Yeah, at the very least, it's going to be one where they can say, "Okay, we've made a whole lot of progress, and now we are facing teams that also want to punch their ticket to October, or that you plan to see in October, or they're planning to see you." It should be interesting to see how that all plays out. But the Braves do have six more games against these sub-500 clubs before all that's going to happen. It begins with three games against the Washington Nationals. It'll start a Monday night up in D.C. as it will be Ian Anderson on the mound for the Braves who start out that six-game road trip. So that should pretty much wrap us up here on From the Diamond for this week. We've had a lot of fun talking to you and going over everything going on with the Red Hot Atlanta Braves as well as around the rest of Major League Baseball. For Corey McCartney and our producer, Dom Shirosky, I'm Grant McCauley. We appreciate you joining us as always here on From the Diamond. We look forward to catching you next week right here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.